Hey everybody, welcome to Adoption Hacks. Today is part two of an episode I did with Mary Carol Skaggs about older child adoption and attachment. In today's episode, we're going to pick up talking about teaching your children how to respond to people's comments. Here's Mary Carol. So there is a resource called Wise Up, W-I-S-E, with periods after each letter, Wise Up. And um, I didn't, it's it's written in a child-friendly format, and I never shared it with my girls because it was all in English, but it was good for me to have a response to people when they ask questions that I'm uncomfortable with answering. They ask terrible questions. And so you've got to be able to know how to answer. And one of the things that I wish I had done earlier with Daniela was practice Mm -hmm. ahead of time and role play the awful questions that people would ask. What happened to her real mom? Mm -hmm. A nurse asked that right in front of my daughter. And I just want to say it's Nanya. I I really did. Um, But then I was like, she's a nurse and somebody asked me a question and I have to answer it. And, and so I didn't have, I didn't have permission in myself to Mm. not answer questions, but this wise up resource is really good because it, it gives you circumstances in which it's okay to answer the question. If somebody wants to know about adoption, that's a great time to inform them about mm-hmm. adoption. If um, somebody's just being nosy and rude, walk away. Yeah. You know, maybe even with a shake of the head, oh, <laughs> and just walk away. <laughs> it's like, really? Um, there are some times where it's appropriate to share, you know, elements of your story, and, and sometimes it's not safe to. Mm-hmm. And so that's an ongoing conversation with the girls. My youngest especially is pretty free to, to say, oh, well, my real ma, and I hate that, real ma, <laughs> I'm your real mom too. And, um, <clears throat> but she'll say, oh, my real mom did this or, you know, or my, my real dad just died, you know, or so she kind of pops out with parts of her story and I empower her to do that because I said, it is your story. Yeah. So if you feel safe in sharing it, you can share it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of sweet actually. Yeah. And I'm sure that just by seeing how you answer questions, that that's teaching them how to do that and what to say. Yeah. So in, 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 in the role playing, if somebody now were to ask me what happened to their real parent, I will probably not comment on the real, real mom thing. But um, I will say, well, you know, honestly, that's her story. And th- I'm sure she'll share it when she's ready. Yeah. Often with older child adoption, they're at an age where they have to jump right into school and homework. How do you prepare them for that? What I did for Daniela, so the the other element with older child adoption is that if if it's an international adoption, it can be um, it can be very difficult because of the language element and um, and, and getting used to the, a new, new way of doing school than what they were perhaps used to in their, um, in their home country. So, and 
And also, oftentimes with older child adoption, they have a disrupted or limited education at home. So one of my one of my daughters didn't begin school until she was nine years old. So um, that's a delayed education. Now, she was smart as whips, so she caught up really fast. But I wanted to help her kind of get a boost on the language and, um, and kind of do the catch up on math, um, and to introduce her to her new, her new homeland, which is Maryland. So I homeschooled her for the first seven months that she was home. And we worked with a a particular, uh, computer friendly, math program and and just kind of worked on connection and all of that. Well, she was miserable. She hated it. She was used to being in school. She only wanted to be in school. So I'll tell you, in April of that year, I put her in school. Uh, I At that moment, we put her in a private uh, middle school because I was still nervous about her just, you know, going right into the shark pool of public middle school here. So that was a nice, that was a pretty gentle way of getting her in. Um, and then, you know, my other daughters, it, you know, it's, so, so the three younger children came home in April 1st of, of 15. And instead of putting them in school for that last couple of months of school, I kept them home, just didn't even enroll them, didn't worry about homeschooling. I'm only working on connection, um, you know, and a little bit on language, but, you know, nothing, nothing very formal. And then we registered them for school in um, August of that year. And so they would enter into the grades that, um, that we chose to have them in. The youngest is not able to read, and she you know, she wasn't didn't even know her alphabet at that time. So uh, we actually enrolled her in school two years behind grade level. I had to really kind of duke it out with the school on that one. And our school, our elementary school, is amazing. They were really really wonderful, but they were just like two years behind. It's not going to be socially appropriate. And then I said, when you see this girl, I'm telling you, it will be socially appropriate. <laughs> Even though it's two years difference, she was um, very young in, in her whole affect because that's one of, the, one of the markers of trauma is the whole mixed maturity and develop, not developmental delay, but an age delay. So they often say that a kid who is, you know, nine, count them at half their age at four and a half or five developmentally, you know, socially, they're going to be much younger because of the trauma element. So I said it it would be good. And she really needs to have the nurturing environment of elementary school in order to, um, to come along. And it was great. It was the best decision that we could possibly make for her. I'm so glad we went that way. And so was actually, um, the main guy who was arguing against it, he was just like, yeah, no, this was good. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. Mm. <laughs> it just goes to show you, you got to be the advocate for your kid. And yes, absolutely. you know what they need. And yes. And you can't, and you can't let the state come in and say, we know what's best for your kid. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I am so blessed to be in such an awesome school district because all of our educators are very much, you know, team kid. We, we all want what's best for the kid. We're going to try to do the best that we can. So I'm very blessed to be in with this great group of educators. I really am. Uh, one of the mistakes that I made early on was I kind of had my dukes up with them thinking that I was going to have to fight them every step of the way. And now I understand that, no, this is really, they're, they're really very interested in the well-being of my children. If we disagree on what is best for my child, then I might put my dukes up a little bit. Only in the loving way that, you know, I, I would passionately argue my point with anyone, you know, yeah. not, not with, not as with an adversary. The school does not have to be your adversary. And I guess that's a point that I want to, that I want to pull out. The other um, awesome thing that one can do in order to prepare yourself, it's not preparing your child so much as preparing yourself for school, is if you're feeling that you're not quite sure how to navigate the whole process, hire an advocate. Mm. So you can get an educational advocate to navigate the um, IEP process. The IEP is the Individual Education Plan that um, kicks off special special education services for children. So um, two of mine have IEPs, and, and the school has been great working with them and, you know, pretty patient with me, <laughs> which is great. That's cool. That's a great tip. I didn't know about that. Yeah. And all of them, all of them started uh, at least a year, and the one, of course, two years behind grade level. So, you know, and that enabled them to have a little bit of extra time to catch up uh, educationally. So I think that was really important for all of them. What were some resources you had or wish that you had before you adapted or at the beginning stages? I wish that I would have understood more about trauma and its impact. But the problem is, I can sit here and I can talk to you, Candace, about trauma, and you're not going to get, you're going to be like, oh, that's not going to be my kid, you know, or, yeah. or whatever other, you know, lie we lull ourselves into, <laughs> you know, but I, I, you know, I wish that I had understood more about the trauma. Mm-hmm. And I remember my agency trying to talk to me about the trauma and I was like, oh yeah, 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 that looks, that's, you know. <laughs> what do you know until you're in it? Um, one of the things that has, ha- there's actually two things that have been like exponentially helpful to me on this journey is fig- learning about this connected parenting um, and parenting kids from trauma. So I have my counselor who acts as a parenting coach for me. In addition to the counseling and therapy, I do neurofeedback um, for the three girls and for myself. So I think that has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have all of these supports in place, but there's also Facebook groups where I can go to and say, hey, you know, my kid is doing this weird thing. How am I supposed to respond in a connected way? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that's what's been so, um, so helpful in this journey. And, and, and it's also just really useful to know that you're not alone. A lot of the times people kind of 
present the rainbows and unicorns version of adoption. And that's just not reality. The reality is that adoption, just like any kind of parenting, is messy. So knowing that I'm not the only messy one helps. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned neurofeedback. What is that? Neurofeedback is what what we call at counseling, we call that brain training. And it's where they hook uh, hook um, leads up to your scalp and you, it measures the brain waves that your brain is producing and helps you figure out how to calm the ones that are going like crazy fast hmm. or it might help you boost the ones that are that that are probably a little too soft you know it's it's like kind of bringing everything in your brain into balance so it's it's helped my youngest you know they they call it they call it the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain so when you're in your downstairs brain you're completely retreated and you know it's like you're 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 just in survival mode and there's no reasoning with a person in their downstairs brain. It's only when you're in your upstairs brain that you have the ability to reason and respond and make good choices that are that are thoughtful. So the neurofeedback, which we also call brain training, helps you kind of tap into that upstairs brain, even in times of stress or mm. um things that might cause depression or anxiety. It's particularly good for ADDers. So um, it's been, I think we've been doing it for a year, I think almost a year. So I think it's That's been cool. really good. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. So one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, so um, older child adoption one of the things that people say, people say, oh, I, I could never do that because they would never attach to us and I'd just feel like her mentor, not her parent. And, you know, and there are times when that is true, that I feel more like a mentor than a parent. Um, but people are very concerned about the attachment element. And then they hear of things like RAD, reactive attachment disorder. And I'll tell you, that's scary stuff. That's, you know, the RAD is um, is very rarely diagnosed, honestly. People look at it and they say, you know, wow, that must be RAD. And they sit in their, they sit in their um, computer chairs and they do this, oh, yeah, so, hey, your child must have RAD. And it, it's not... It's not that simple to diagnose. You know, I even asked my um, counselor if one of my kids might have RAD. And she's like, no, and this is why. And, and you know, because she can attach to your husband and the dog and things like that. So, you know, that's a, a sure sign that she does not have RAD, which is great. RAD is... Um, is very is is a very real thing. I'm not saying it's fake, but it's just often overused to describe mm-hmm. kids who are having difficulty. Mm-hmm. So um, the the actual diagnosis of RAD, I don't know what the numbers would be, what the what the statistics show, but the the actual number, the number of actually documented diagnoses of RAD is pretty low. It's pretty limited. Um, these kids, when they when they agree to be adopted, these kids who are older, 
they have they it's not that I can just swoop in and say I'm going to adopt you yay me no they need to agree to it um mm. and that makes sense so these kids want to be adopted they 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 want families now a lot of times they don't really know what that looks like as mm. in the case of my kids they didn't they didn't really know what a family would look like they had no idea but they but at 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 some core level they really wanted to be in a family with a mom and a dad Anything else you would say to the parent considering adopting an older child? You're not alone. Become trauma-informed. Understand about connected parenting because really it's the only way that you can therapeutically parent an older adopted child. Mm -hmm. Realize that you are your child's advocate whether they want you to be or not. You know, Mm -hmm. in the school, online. You know, be vigilant. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, like, a beautiful moment of your family that you want to share? I'll tell you, God is so God is is so gracious to our family, and um, he. I know he put all four of these girls and my two bios. I know he gave them to us for a reason. And one of the things that's really important to me is the um, respect for and connection with their first family. Uh, so I started looking for the girls' first family as soon, even while we were in country for the adoption trip. I called it my secret mission. I, I took my driver and we went looking around in their neighborhood to try to find their first family. And I, I wasn't successful. That was a real, you know, poke in the dark. But um, but but that's as early as I started looking was was right away. So last year I was able to find the first family. And um, I went to visit them a year ago in January, and it was amazing because I actually got to spend time with the, with their first family and with their father. So uh, because of this, I was able to hold this dying man's hand shortly before he died, and I got to pray over him. I got to hug and pray for their sister whom they adore and is still in country. So, so it, it, it all came around full circle when we decided to take them back to Bogota this past January. And, um, unfortunately they had, um, they were not able to see their father because he did die shortly after my visit last year, but they were able to Skype with him twice before I left uh, before I left there, and um, and this time they got to go visit the graves of their mother and their brother, and um, and uh, they got to spend time with their siblings, just all of them. And this might have been the first time in their entire lives that they were all together sharing a meal at McDonald's. It was amazing. They all, all, all seven of them plus a boyfriend, all crowded into one booth at McDonald's and and I just gave thanks to the Lord because I was like this is this is where it's at there's something mm-hmm. special about sharing a meal together as a family yeah and I don't know that that had ever happened for these young people mm-hmm. before so it was powerful it was really effective so I it was it was a privilege to be there to 
you know, be part of that and to witness that. So we got to spend the the whole afternoon together and it was a really lovely thing. So that was mm-hmm. that was a pretty special moment for me that I got to, you know, stand on the sidelines and cheer this family on. I was just like, yay. Right. Yeah. Well, this topic goes so much deeper and we're going to have to do um, many more episodes together (laughs) to share your amazing story and to hear all your wisdom. Um, But thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Candice. And it's just such a privilege to be with you here today. And thank you for all you are doing to help spread the word about adoption resources. It's just so great to know that we're not alone when we're on this journey. That is so true. And I'm so thankful Mary Carol came on the show and shared all this practical information with us. I'm going to attach some things she mentioned in the notes. First of all, that Wise Up book, I'll have a link for that. Also, a YouTube video she sent me about neurofeedback and the name of a parenting coach she gave me off the air. So be sure to check all of those out. Also, rate and review Adoption Hacks on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening.